Welcome to Bound by Books, a podcast of five authors across the genres talking about the one thing we're all bound by, books. Welcome to today's broadcast. Um, I am Shay Hayes, and I am joined today by Marianne Morea. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Sherry. Good to be here. Well, today we are talking about what we would have told our younger author selves, what we wish we knew then what we know now. <laughs> and we have seven topics. It was yes. a, we could have gone on and on, but we narrowed it down to the top seven, lucky seven of things that you guys should know. This is, this is one of those, this was kind of one of those topics that, you know, I, yeah, I really wish these things would have, it, there would have been like a, a publishing, being an author 101 type of thing and been Great. like, here, here are the things that you should know as a brand new author. And after over 10 years in the industry of being published, I have learned so much and we're going to touch on some of those things today and, yeah. uh, and see that. So, well, the first thing we, we, Marion and I decided on, um, was that there is always more to learn. That's right. I think it goes back to <laughs> what I used to like to think when I was in art school, um, because I have a degree in journalism and a, and a master's in fine art, was that when you think you know it all, you lose your edge. And mm -hmm. so there's always more to learn. You always have to hone your craft. And, and besides the fact, not just the writing craft, the market is changing every single day. There's new technologies and new things that are happening. Let's, uh, let's talk about that a little more. Let's get into that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that when you go into, when I first started in this industry, I really thought that there was a, a list of things that you did. You know, you, you wrote the book, you sent it to your editor, you, you went through all your edits, you, you know, you picked your cover and all that, in all the design and stuff. And then you went through a, you know, you set up a blog tour and you, you remember you know, those, you had, then you had, I know, which doesn't <laughs> even happen that much anymore. And then you had a release day party and, you know, you did all that. And that was kind of, then you were, the book was out in the ether and, you know, you, you were, you waited for the reviews to come in and you, you kind of waited for the sales to come in and all this stuff. That was kind of my introduction. And I just kind of thought it just followed after that. It was, I had no experience in the industry prior to my first published novel. And so I just thought that was how it was and what you did. And you just went on with it. And yeah, there was so much more to it than that. And it, <laughs> one of the things that I wish I had done was that I, I researched my own information before taking advice from people who later on I found out knew squat. <laughs> you know, they, they knew, they thought they knew everything, but they didn't, you know, and I don't care how long they were plodding along. They didn't know anything about marketing. They didn't know anything about promotion, you know, and I listened to them and I listened to the, the naysayers about things that I could have gotten involved in early on um, and was just like, okay, you know, if they're not doing it, then maybe I shouldn't be doing it either. Because, you know, if they were doing it, then I would know it was good instead of researching it myself. And yeah. that's a real newbie mistake because, you know, sometimes things that are trend 
you know, if somebody doesn't want to jump on, jump onto it, I'm not saying that you have to write to trend, but what I mean is marketing trends, you know, you have to see what, what's, what's working in the industry now because it may not work tomorrow. Well, and it's very genre specific. True. That that's one thing that I, I guess along the same lines, that's one thing that I really learned with more time and experience uh, in this industry is that marketing and the business and just being an author is so genre specific. What works for you as a paranormal author, Marianne, it may not work for me as a steamy contemporary. True. That's very true. So it could be the advice that somebody is giving you could be good advice in their genre. Right. You know, absolutely. But, but it's very, if you have, say, if you have a sweet contemporary author giving you, or a women's fiction author or something like that, giving you advice, you really need to kind of take that advice, not just don't dismiss it, but take it with a grain of salt and do your research on it. Because again, what works for them may not work for you. So that's true. It's very true. I went to I went to Romance Author Mastermind in Houston in 2018, and um, it was geared more towards your genre. I'll tell you right now, it was not really geared towards anything paranormal. It was mostly contemporary and mostly very, very steamy contemporary. And um, I had somebody look at my covers who was like basically an erotic romance author, and she was telling me, oh, well, you need to do this and you need to do that and, and whatnot. And I, I walked away and then somebody took me by the arm and she says to me, she goes, you do know she doesn't write your genre. I said, no, I know. I mean, at that point, by 2018, I was kind of, you know, word to the wise, you know, kind of knew, knew the knew the drill. Right. And you just let people talk because most most authors are very well-meaning. They're not no one's going to try and steer you wrong because mm-hmm. on purpose, you know, and if they are, you know, there's a special place in hell for them, you know, because solidarity, baby, you know, solidarity. So. Um, And the other thing I wish I had done, you know, in terms of there's always more to learn is even though I have a degree in journalism, and that's where I started out, you know, writing, you know, word, wordsmithing was always my thing. And, you know, because I did have an eye for cover art, because I do have that background in in graphic design, is I still wish I had, I had taken refresher courses. So because there's, there's a difference between writing in a journalistic fashion, then there is writing fiction, and fiction craft has its own mechanics of writing that you need to you need to make sure that you that you know or that at least that you're familiarized your, yourself with like passive voice you know, the the overuse of ancillary words like just and like and that and ly adverbs being lazy writing and so forth there's mm-hmm. you know and, and being able to have fresh writing instead of using cliched writing and so forth you know i wish i had done that earlier on so what about you yeah, I mean, I, I did not, I don't have a journalism degree. And I, again, I never kind of went into, uh, went into this with any type of aspirations to be a published author on the onset. It was, it was purely by chance that I went down this road. Uh, but it was really my editors that, that took me kind of under their wing. And I learned through experience, I learned to kind of moderate my own writing but again it was a constant and it is still a constant learning process I have to be aware when I'm writing 
to make sure, like you're saying, don't don't overuse the word just or though or however yeah. or but or because or yep. you know all those <laughs> lovely words that in like casual speech we use, you know, all the time. You can't, it just doesn't sound right when you're using them in a writing capacity and somebody's reading it. So yeah. it, you've got to learn that and and really whether you hone your craft in a classroom or you hone your craft through learning an experience more like I did with a good editor. That the operative word in that sentence is good editor. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you send your book to an editor and they do not, and you have very little red or markings on your story, especially if you are a new author, go find another editor. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't imagine, I mean, seriously, I have never met a, I have, I have yet to come across a, an author, especially a author that's been doing it less than a few years who can send their manuscript to an editor and not have it marked to high heaven. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it because it's an editor's job to nitpick over the little things. It doesn't mean you have to accept all of those things that they are proposing that are to be changed. True. But they should be flagging things that are could potentially be said a different way or maybe tightening your words better. Yeah. Yeah. Tightening it up. We need this sentence, you know, type things, but you know, that that's something, but that's the learning process. And I, I still expect even after 10 plus years in this industry, I still expect when I send my manuscript to an editor, to my editor, I still expect to get a ton of corrections sent back to me. It doesn't mean I'm a bad writer. It just means that I am, my strong suit is not grammar or spelling. I know that. And I, you know, I do really good with storylines and plot lines and, you know, rising and falling action and stuff. I am more of a storyteller than I am a traditional writer. So I know where my strengths are. And that's, I guess, kind of another thing is, know what your strengths are, know what your weaknesses are mm-hmm. and build your learning around those things. Absolutely. And when I, when I wrote uh, blood legacy and I sent it to uh, an editor, um, her name was Tess McCall at the time. She's always also a writer. She sent me back, sent it back to me and says, I'm not going to read the rest of this until you look at this. And she sent me a PDF of a, of a file that was called sharpening the quill. And you can't really find it anywhere anymore. And I actually, mm-hmm. when I moved and was packing up my office, I found my printout and it was everything that a writer needs to know, you know, about passive voice and keeping, you know, instead of saying things in three sentences to, that, that could be said in one, tightening your prose, staying away from purple prose, you know, that type mm-hmm. of a thing, you know, and um, showing, not telling, you know, all of those things that writers need to know, well, fiction writers need yes. to know. And uh, so I kept it because who the hell knows when it might come in handy, you know, if, yeah, if I, right. you know, if I want to help somebody up, you know, up mm-hmm. the ranks, up the ladder. So mm-hmm. And there's always, you know, there's always need for refreshers too, because there's so much to learn, to know that it's not bad idea to go back and, and look at some of, some of your past notes, be like, 
oh yeah, I forgot about that. And now I kind of know more. It's kind of the same deal of when you go into a, like a seminar, like say it's a four hour seminar and they just throw all this information at you. It's just like, it's literally like throwing, you know, like goop at a wall. It's like, who hoped that a few things stick? Whereas if you have the, the note, your notes or what have you, you can go back, you know, six months, a year, two years later. And now that you've really honed those few things that stuck to the wall while you're in that seminar, able to other things that they talked about may resonate with you right. and then you can build on those um so that should lead us kind of to our second our number two treat your business like a business i think a lot of new authors don't do that i think they treat it like it's a hobby or they treat it as if it's a okay i'm gonna try this and see what happens there are so many things that you have to do. I, I, you have to approach your writing business like any other publishing house, because since you are self-published, therefore the operative word in that sentence is publish, as in publisher. You are the publisher. Wow. So therefore you have to surround yourself with a staff. You have to have a good editor. You have to have a good cover designer. You have to have a proofreader. You have to be able to format. And if you can't format it properly, you have to have a formatter. But the, you know, and you have to have a marketing plan. And I think a lot of a lot of new authors don't realize that this is multifaceted in terms of treating your business like a business. So Yes, I, I, I would totally agree with that. I think a lot of uh, a lot of newbie authors do go into it as like, oh, this is fun. This is new and so exciting. I'm going to be published. People are going to actually reading my story and they don't really approach it as a business. They don't sit down and create a budget as yeah. to they are going to what allocate to cover design, what they're going to allocate towards editing, what they're going to allocate towards formatting if they're not doing it themselves, what they're going to allocate towards marketing. You really need to figure all those things out. And right. marketing for the most part is going to cost you something. Now right. it could it could potentially just cost you time. There are marketing avenues you can go down that you know are free. Um, not a ton of them anymore, but there are a few, mm -hmm. but those usually take a lot of time. Yeah. So again, but you, which is fine. You can do that, but you need to go in with a game plan. You need to have a marketing plan. You need to have, like you said, those people around you, a good editor and people who will be honest. That yes. is probably the biggest thing. You do not want someone who is just going to blow smoke up your backside. I was going to say sunshine, but smoke works too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, I, I, it's true. And this actually builds on what we were just talking about where there's always mm -hmm. more to learn that, you know, where I said about research my own information before taking advice, just don't jump and just because somebody says Joe blows, you know, a book tour is, you know, amazeballs and you should do it. 
research it. Make sure that it, it that they that the bloggers that they have on the tour actually read the book. If they actually put reviews up, if they have a following, um, is are the genres that they read your genre? You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to send you know a, a paranormal you know romantic suspense to somebody who only reads sweet Christian romance. You know, you're just not going to do that. So you have to you have to do your research. The other mm-hmm. thing that I wish that I had told myself back then is that business is business and that you're that I wish I was a little more selfish and that I treated the author community that I was starting to, you know, get to know more like colleagues instead of looking at them like, oh, they're my friends. Oh, let's have a play date and get on, you know, and, and you know, because these chat, because back in the day, it was all chats. Mm-hmm. You need to branch out just because, you know, you treat them as colleagues and you vet them. You need to vet their knowledge base before you take things that they say as verbatim because you don't know. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. you, you really don't. Because I think when when you're when you are a newbie and you you don't you don't know as much and you really have to look at the big picture. Again, it kind of goes back to the first thing we said, there's always more to learn and treating your business like a business is one of those big components. And I, I would say along those same lines, track your sales, track your spending, because I tell you, I did not do this until about a, two, three years ago. Yeah. I mean, I knew about how much I was spending, but I wasn't comparing that to my income. Like I wasn't pairing the two. I wasn't figuring my ROI, my return on investment. And if you're treating it like a business, you need to. Any good business owner, small business owner, especially, but even big corporations, they track their income and expenses. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's just what accounts they payable, accounts receivable. <laughs> and, but there are so many authors that don't. Well, you there know, are, they just don't. I think when you first start out in this business, at least for me, it was like an exhale because it was like, oh <laughs> yeah. my god, I found people who I, I found my tribe. You know, and and uh, people who talk, you know, who speak my language that I could bounce ideas off of. I can brainstorm book ideas, which is another thing. Mm -hmm. Treat your business Mm -hmm. like a business. Keep your friggin' stories close to the vest because ideas cannot be copyrighted. And you're going to be waxing euphoric about this great idea. And somebody who has, you know, better traction and faster writing than you can put it out before you. I mean, most people in the writing community are ethical and they won't do that, but you never know. And then what do you do? It only only takes takes one. one. So only takes one. Well, that kind of brings us to number three. And that is one that you actually kind of had a big conversation about in a recent conference. And that is stay in your lane. Uh, Now, what exactly does that mean? That means do not genre hop all over the place because you need to have time to build your audience. If you are writing, say, in five different genres, it is going, unless you are putting out 10 books a year, you are going to have 
Yeah, even then that's challenging. But it, I would say you would have to put out probably 10 books a year in order to build that audience, in order to really get your foothold in all five of the genres. It's much easier to pick one or two genres and just stay in those lanes and write and build your audience. Now, if you want to branch out into those other three genres, that's fine eventually. But to, especially when you're first starting out, you really have got to stay in your lane. You've got to, plus it screws up the algorithms. Yes. You're writing in so many different genres. Those algorithms are like, what, what, huh? Where, where, where'd you go? What yep. are you doing? Yep. And, you know, and it makes it harder for readers to find. Yep. And for those of you who don't understand what that means, the algorithms basically track people who have looked at your book, people who have bought your book, people who have bought books that are like your book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they will show your book to those people simply because the keywords and the tropes that are in your blurb and in your in your search words Amazon and the other distribution channels will show it to them. So if you're publishing steamy and then you're publishing sweet and then you're publishing suspense and mystery or not, not exactly sweet, but YA, you know, that type of a thing, you're all over the place. Now, no one is saying you can't, neither Sherry or I are saying you can't write in those genres. But as I learned, because I tend to be a genre hopper when I, you know, in my, in, I have like 40 books out and <laughs> some of them are YA, some of them are paranormal women's fiction, some of them are steamy, some of them are not, you know? So anyway, I brought up the problem that I was having and I was basically told point blank, you need pen names. And mm-hmm. I, we broke it up that I needed three pen names. My, my name, Marianne Morea. Then I need one for my paranormal women's fiction and paranormal cozy mysteries. That's Marianne Danbury. And then for my YA stuff, M.A. Morea. So I kept them kind of similar so that they're still right. me and my, you know, and that readers who have picked up my books when they were all over the place um, won't feel like, oh, my God, somebody stole her book. You know, it, it, it's still right. recognizable as me. But the reason is so that these also bots that are attached to these algorithms will be straight. And more importantly, it was explained to me that when you write a book in a specific genre at a specific heat level, it's a contract that you make with your reader. And then a reader picks up that book and they read it. They love it. They want the next one. And if they pick up something else by, your, by you and it's not that same format, not that same level of heat or, or, or the type of writing, mm-hmm. they're going to be disappointed. And they're basically going to say, you know, what the heck, you know, and that's a violation of your contract that you made with that reader. It's because that mm-hmm. reader needs to be able to expect from you what you produce now. Right. That's, and so that's what I, that's why I have now, I have the three pen names. So. Right. Right. Now with me, I, I only, I write in two genres, but they're very similar genres and I have, a, and there are a lot of reader crossovers. So I do not have a pen name, nor do I plan on having a pen name, but I write in steamy contemporary. And then I write in BDSM erotic romance, but they're because I'm steamy. Now, if I wrote, if I wrote sweet contemporary and BDSM erotic romance, I would need two pen names. Yes. Because those 
do not, I mean, while they may have some crossover, if I, if my, if I had a, a reader that read my, some of my sweet stuff, and then they saw, you know, my name over here on this BDSM erotic, and they picked it up, not, you know, just going, oh, I've read her. I want to, I, I love this book. I'm going to pick up this. And then they read that they could potentially never read me again yes. because I broke the contract right? because of that. So just something you that I wish I, I would have, I would have known. I would have yeah, me too. kind of had that discussion. Someone would have told me, but because again, that's something that I really learned within the last year or so that that how of how important that is I've kind of always known for a while at least I had a I had an author friend of mine who loved to genre hop and she had a very hard time gaining traction this was probably I'd probably been in this industry about four years at that point and we were having this conversation. She's like, I just, my sales just, just aren't going anywhere. I just, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm contacting blogs. I'm, I'm putting my book out there and I'm just not getting any traction. And I'm like, well, you're writing, you have a paranormal ghost story. You have a dystopian futuristic trilogy. And then you have a Tudor romance. Those do not no. go together. No. So you're you're having a very hard time. So I did kind of know that after a few years in the industry, but again, to me, that is something that I think at, as you as soon as you publish your first book, before that second book comes up, before you even start writing your second book, that's something that would be really nice for new authors to know because right it really does affect your trajectory and your, your, your marketing. So it's, it's very, and very, very. Important. This also goes back to do your own research because I asked yeah. people that I knew and they're like, Oh no, as long as it's all paranormal, it should be fine. Well, no, you know, in certain respects, like Marianne Danbury is for paranormal women's fiction and paranormal cozy mysteries. And the only reason why that's okay is because the readership crosses over because the demographic mm -hmm. is the same age bracket, the same the same type of a, of a expectation. Because in paranormal women's fiction, there's there may be there's mystery, there's splashes of romance, but there's no sex. And the same thing in cozy mystery, paranormal cozy mystery. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's for you know the women who read those books are are older, and there's there may be hints of romance. Um, but there's no cussing, there's no, there's no sex, you know, there's flirtations and so forth. So it's kind of mm -hmm. the same, it's under the same umbrella. So therefore yeah. I can have the same pen name for that, but there's no way I could have the YA stuff be the same as my, oh. my paranormal, my steamy paranormal romantic suspenses and paranormal vampire fantasies, you know, forget it, you know? So yeah, yeah. I wish I, I, again, I wish I had done the, the research better and this is why we're doing this so that you guys out there listening to us don't make the same mistakes that we made yes yes because these are very common mistakes these are not just things that the two of us have mistakes the two of us have made because we our group of five we we talk about you know we talk about stuff all the time and right. specifically in relations to marketing and or in our books and this is a subject that has came up a lot yep. that all of us kind of were like, 
really wish I would have considered that years ago because we've all been in the industry for around 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we all have a lot of experience, but this is all the stuff that it's like, oh, wow, I really wish somebody would have told me this, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, back and in the I day. wasn't just now kind of figuring it out now. Um, well, that kind of leads us to number four, and that is pay attention to the changing industry. Now, I know industries in general change, but I will say that aside from probably the tech industry in and of itself, this has to be one of the most frequently changing industries that I know of. I mean, I, my husband and I own our own woodworking business. So I'm familiar with the changing changes of that industry, but the last major change in that industry was a CNC router machine. Uh, and that was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I mean, yeah, there's been other smaller things, but not huge like that. That was like industry changing. This industry, the book industry, from an author's perspective, there's stuff that changes almost on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean yeah. you've got I mean, you've got so much. You I mean, just recently we have Kendall Vella came up. I mean, mm-hmm. That was, you know, potentially game changer. There's constantly different. We have to buy um, tokens, not money. Yeah. You have to pay with tokens. You have to purchase yeah. the tokens. Like, like back in the day when you had to have tokens to play the arcade games, you know, right. that type of a thing. Um, right. I can remember the very first, I was on an airplane in 2007 heading. This is before I even started writing. I had, it was heading on vacation with my family and there was a woman sitting catty cornered from me in the, in, a, in two rows up on the aisle and she had a very first kin, uh, Kindle mm-hmm. and uh, and I kept thinking what the hell is that what is that and it was it was the very first Kindle and back then there probably was was probably hardly any books available and the books that were probably on it were probably classics that were public domain that Amazon was able to put up for free you mm-hmm. know just to get people to to start you know to try the yeah, device give it a shot. Yeah. you know the heyday of kindle was mm-hmm. between 2010 and 2012 2013 and uh in terms of for authors not just not readers for authors to get on the bandwagon um with kindle 1.0 which mm-hmm. was uh, kindle unlimited 1.0 which started in 2013 um where you got paid per download as opposed to what they do now, which is by page read. And um, there are so many author friends of mine who said, don't do it. Don't do it. People still want paper. They don't want this digital stuff. And I had one author friend who, you know, who said, you better do it. If you don't do it, you're going to regret it. And she hit the New York Times bestseller list three months in a row. And now has been picked up by a major, major, you know, well, she's, it's years now that she was picked up by a, a major publisher and has had her stuff go international and has translated mm-hmm. into many things. And that's because she didn't listen to the mob. She, you know, she listened to her own business, you know, her own business yeah. sense. She took a chance. And with Kindle Vela, it's the same thing. Is it paying off? We have two authors in the five of our, in, in, amongst the five of us that are getting bonuses now. I am not, you know, but then again, I only have four episodes up. 
you know, so and I have done really no marketing for it. So yeah, pay attention to the changes in the industry, because you never know what you're going to try, that you're going to be, what is the term they use, Sherry? Early adopter. That's the word, early Mm -hmm. adopter. They say early adopters are the ones who jump on you, who who have a chance that if something takes off, that they're going to go with it. It'll be the wind beneath their wings to have them take off. You know, TikTok mm-hmm. is another one, another thing. You know, TikTok sells books is a, is a huge thing now. But, but, you know, people who got involved with it, you know, six months ago are the ones who are reaping the benefit because now everybody and their brother is jumping on TikTok. So it's saturated. So, you know, I tried it um, and I had some modicum, a modicum of, of success with it, but it's a little too much involved for me to do on a daily basis where you have to put out, you know, so many right. videos per day. But there are yeah. Danielle Bannister, Hannah Byron and Tina Moss are the three other girls and out of our five and they are TikTokers par excellence. And they are mm-hmm. reaping the benefits of it. So if it's something that you 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 lean towards, mm-hmm. something that you feel an affinity for, an inclination to do, you should do it. You know, I personally, you know, have a hard time with it. Yeah, but I, I think that that kind of is a. I mean, the tick like TikTok and and all of those social media platforms. That's again kind of something that you you know, is always constantly changing. I mean, who would have thought three years ago that we would be talking about the latest trend in book marketing is making short videos, you know, yeah. videos and posting them on this new site called TikTok. And, you know, that it was actually making, having an effect on author sales. Nobody would have, nobody would even have dreamed that was, you know, that was the case. And it's not just social media though. It is, the industry is constantly changing the resources that authors use or have at their disposal, how they track their sales, how, what they use to distribute their arcs to readers, all of those things. I mean, it's a laundry list of things that's constantly changing. So it just, you, you really have to stay at it. It really kind of, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode with there's always more to learn. And right. it, it definitely has the industry itself, not just the craft, but the industry itself. Sure. Um, I mean, perfect, those things. perfect example for me is back in 2013 when Kindle, when, when KDP allowed books to be put up for free, you know, and have free downloads to, to Kindle Unlimited. You know, I had 25,000 downloads of book one in the Curse by Blood series, which is Hunter's Blood. But because I didn't understand marketing back in the day. I didn't have a call to action in the back of the book. You know, if you like this, pick up book two and then with a link. I didn't have that. And I should have. You know, mm-hmm. um, it goes back to not knowing, just not knowing. Right. So, right. Which leads us into number five. Good marketing is as important as a good story. Yes. And that kind of goes with what you were just saying with the back matter. I mean, back matter is so important. And it's... I did not know this until a couple of years ago. Yep. I mean, this is something you would think would have been, especially since I was originally with the publisher, you would have thought that that would have been something that was explained to me, that was talked about, that I would have seen. 
But back then, nope, it was, it, it just, it wasn't done or it wasn't commonplace. And so now back matter is so important because when you get, when a reader gets to the end of your book, you want them to go purchase the next book. You right. already, they just read your book and hopefully they loved it. And you want them to sign up for your newsletter and you want them to sign up for your, for your, you know, go to your website. Um, There's a lot of things. I mean, we have heard that the back of the book in terms of back matter is the most priceless real estate in the book. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I would totally agree with that because again, you've already, you've already, hopefully, if you've done your job and done it well, you have hooked the reader, you have gotten them interested and they enjoyed your story. So they have that emotional connection at that point. So you, you should be able to, hopefully they will want to read more. They would be like, Oh, I really like this story. I wonder what else this author has written. What, What else can I read by this author? And you don't want to make it difficult for them to find out that information because the more they have to dig to find it, the less likely they're going to dig. Now we had a scare, I guess about, was it a week ago or was it two weeks ago? Time is just flying where Facebook went down for almost Uh a day. Was it 12, 12, 15 hours? It went down. It was a long time. Yeah. And readers, you know, hook up with authors on social media and for a certain age demographic facebook is the place where we advertise so for that period of time whatever it was a day and a half you know 12 15 hours we had no way of contact of, of getting in touch with our readers and vice versa or, you know our readers were lost to us as well and that put a scare through everybody because it's like okay this is what i relied on you know, social media is what I, what I relied on to do my marketing. And basically, you realize at that point in time that it can't be the only thing that you rely on. It can't be. You have to have other avenues of marketing. And it can't be something that you think about, like Sherry was saying. What, what, is, what did you say? Don't, don't wait until. Go ahead. Finish. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't wait until you hit publish to start promoting. Right. So, yeah, yeah. just you need to. That is, that's probably another thing that, again, it's, it's another thing that I really did not think about or realize that was a thing that you should be doing um, when, I, when I first published, because I didn't start promoting my book um, or really myself as an author until I had my first book out. And that is not something you want to do. I mean, Alexandra Torre uh, if I'm saying her name right, Tori, Tori, Tori. Okay. Um, she, it's one of the things she, she preaches in her marketing classes about Goodreads mm-hmm. is that you should be promoting that book. Each and every book, you should be promoting it pretty much as soon as you start writing it. Yeah. And, Absolutely. you know, getting, getting, building that, uh, building that potential readership, having people add your book to their TBR, um, getting, getting them excited, putting little updates, getting, oh, it's, you know, I'm this far, I, I, you know, I'm this far and giving little unedited clips, things like that, getting people excited, talking about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, that yeah. was just something that wasn't done or wasn't 
told to me back then. So the um, other thing is the other thing is um, like we were talking about with social media, not being, you know, the mm -hmm. be all and end all. I mean, it's a, they're terrific vehicles, but when those vehicles are not around anymore, for whatever reason, whether or not it's something the FCC does or whether it because it's the power grid that goes down or what have mm -hmm. you, you have to still have a way to get in touch with your readers. And, you know, and that brings us to, um, well, you know, I'm going to jump. Yeah, no, we're going to have to jump because we kind of yeah. led into this and into number seven and we skipped number six, but that's okay. okay. We'll get to that's number okay. six after we'll make well, number six, number eight. Yeah, number, yeah, number, exactly. we'll, we'll flip flop them. <laughs> we'll flip -flop them. <laughs> Is that you need, you need a website and you need an email list and that you cannot wait until after you've had your books out to start doing that when do you have to have your call to action at the back of your book to sign up for your newsletter because the best thing you want to do is grow your newsletter organically people mm -hmm. who want to be in touch with you as a as an author and not because they want to win a kindle or because they want to win a free book or because they you know they they're mm -hmm. they're 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 fishing for treasure you know what i mean you don't want mm -hmm. i mean treasure hunters have their place they're looking for sales and they're looking for freebies but the, the people that you want on your newsletter are, are re readers that actually want to become super readers, which are people who are one clickers who buy your book the minute that they hear it's coming out. They pre-order it the minute they hear it's coming out. That's your goal. And there mm -hmm. are different echelons of reader at that point in time because, you know, and everybody's got their place in the in the, you know, on the food chain. Everybody's got their place in the sphere. So but yeah. your aim is for the top, the super reader. You know, and if you, and sometimes they start off down here and then they keep going and they grow, they grow, you know, they become yeah. that super reader. And the only way that you're going to do that is to get their email addresses and their information through the sign up at the back of your book, the call to action at the back of your book. And you're thinking, oh, my God, I can't afford a newsletter. I can't afford to do that. It's so much money. There are newsletters out there. I know for a fact that Mailer Light, which is one of the top ones, along with uh, MailChimp, Mailer Light um, will let you have a free newsletter subscription service um, up to 2,000 subscribers. So think about mm -hmm. how long it's going to take you to get 2,000 subscribers. You know, unless you, you know, unless you've got a magic button somewhere that you want to share with everybody, you know, share with the class now. Um, you know, where you can, where you can do this. That then, that's what you want. That's what you can start off with. And then afterwards, there mm -hmm. are tiers that you pay for. So, yeah. in terms of in terms of website, there are plenty of ones out there. But I'll tell you one thing I ran into just now because, like, we keep going back to, there's always something to learn. Is that not only does you need a, you need an uh, an email, a website email, a newsletter email, like I have Marianne at MarianneMaria.com, that you, you need a domain. You need to purchase a domain. And they can be as, as inexpensive as $10. You don't have to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but you have mm -hmm. to be able to have email that goes along with it. So you're, you know, you know, Susie Homemaker off at SusieHomemaker.com, you know, that type of a thing. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 and you have to verify that domain and that email through that domain. And the other thing you have to do is you have to authenticate it through a website. And those yeah. two things stop you from going to spam. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it really is important. And I, I can't stress how much those two items the website and the email list are those. If you do nothing else as a new author, do those two things. And a Facebook page, Facebook author page. 
yeah, yeah, of course, and that's free, so you should yeah. not have anything. But as far as anything that could potentially cost you money, those an email list and starting an email list and getting a website are are so so important. I cannot stress it enough how important the, those two things are because one. If Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is goes down or say Facebook decides to be a little, you know, nitpicky about something you post one day and they decide that it's going to shut your page down. Yeah, which they have and done. Put you in jail. Yeah, I had a we've had some authors who have been hacked, too. Yeah. And they have you know, had to fight for a month or more to get their Facebook pages back. So any of those things could happen. If you have your email list, if you have, you, you own those, you know, those subscribers, basically you own those emails, you have their permission to send them emails directly to them. You have a direct connection with your readers. Mm -hmm. The website is just as important because it gives you a web presence. It legitimizes you as mm -hmm. legitimizes you as an author. It also makes you much easier to find. And I will say from personal experience, I, I share on my blog, the books that I'm reading because I want to be, you know, I want to share the love if I'm reading an author I want to, you know, it gives, you know, gives them pro some promotion. And plus, if I like the book, then, you know, it, you know, great. I can gush about it and all this stuff. But I always, whenever I share another author's book on my blog, I always put links, buy links to that book on the blog with, on the blog post. You know how I find the, the buy links on the author's website mm -hmm. and there's been so many times that I have went to go find the author's website and there's a website. And so I'm left going, okay, well, I guess I'm just putting an Amazon link here because I'm not going to spend an hour chasing down all your buy links to go to every single retailer to see if you're on, if your book is on it. I'm just going to go to one and there it is. It's going to be there. But so I know that sounds kind of silly, but if, but I have readers, I'm, I'm a wide author. So all my book, my books are posted on Amazon, Apple, Barnes and Noble, Kobo and Google play. So I'm on five, the five major retailers. So I have readers that read on all of those retailers. So it makes sense that if your books are found on all those retailers, it would behoove you to have that information easily accessible so that other authors like me or bloggers who are looking for that information can very easily pull that and put it and attach it to a blog post or a social media or what have you. So it sounds kind of like, very simple, but it really does. It helps with your Google presence. And it also really helps to just make your information accessible yeah, for absolutely. people who are, who are wanting it. So, so that would, that's, uh, that is really, really important. Um, we'll go to our last one. 
Okay, which oh, um, cover design, so my favorite cover thing. Design. Yes, Next yes. To world building, cover design. So let me let me ask you something because I I was sharing with you before we went on the air that my first two covers were horrendous. I mean, I I'm I'm a little embarrassed about them at this point. <laughs> um, but um, but I just. I didn't know any better. I mean, that's, that's the only excuse that I have. Is well, I'm I looking at some of the covers better. in the, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the side over here that you've gotten, they look pretty good. They look yeah. great. Yeah. They, well, they're probably cause I don't have them up anymore. They're buried. They're buried. <laughs> but um, the first two covers I did uh, for my first book, which was hidden threat, which is now strictly professional. Um, but back then when it first published, it was hidden threat. And then the first cover for behind closed doors. Oh my goodness. The first cover for behind closed doors. Okay. Keep in mind that this is a steamy contemporary romance. All right. My first cover for behind closed doors was a door, a door. Okay. A door, like a front door to a house. Okay. That's it. No people. No any no, nothing else. It was just a front door and it said with with nice little, you know, flowers on either side of it with behind closed doors and very um scrolly text and then my name at the bottom. That's it. That was the whole cover. Now, how the question is is how many steamy contemporary romance covers do you know? that look like that none <laughs> so yeah that that like i said it was it was bad so fast forward to now and i have a couple cuddling in bed as my cover for behind closed doors see this is where this is where my my background in art and going to art school came into play because um, I had my own artwork ripped to shreds. I mean, as you can tell, I've got PTSD. <laughs> ripped to shreds by the by the curators and by mm. by professors and so forth when I was going for my master's degree. When a cover artist sends me a cover, first of all, they first off they don't just start from scratch. No, mm -hmm. I jump onto Photoshop and I do a complete comp for them. I pick the imagery, I pick the background, I pick the, you know, the fonting that I think might work, um, the positioning and so forth, and um, just to kind of give me the feel. And then I hand that mm -hmm. over to them and I say, okay, I don't have the time and I don't have the actual skills anymore because I went to I went to grad school in 1994 when, you know, things were still pen and ink. My Photoshop skills are okay. I can do artwork for my ads. I can do graphics for, you know, I did the logo for our Bound by mm -hmm. Books, you know. Yeah. So I, I've got some skill, got some skill. But when it comes to actually making a cover pop the way it's supposed to. Right. I let that I get, I leave it up to them. So I do the nitty gritty and I let them polish it and make it pretty. Um, a lot of times they don't, they miss the mark and I make them do it over mm -hmm. and over again until when I look at my cover, if it makes me lose my breath, if it makes me go, <gasps> then I know I've got a good cover, but if it makes me go, mm, it's okay. Then I know it's not a good cover. Mm -hmm. And then my readers are going to have the same reaction. Mm, yeah. It's okay. You know, and mm -hmm. I have had to change cover artists because of that. 
Yeah. It kind of so. goes back to that, you know, treating your business like a business because you really do have to dot all your I's, cross all your T's, approach it as a business. It's not a hobby. Make sure all your legal ducks are in a row because if it comes down to eventually having to pursue something in court or potentially pursue something in court, you want to make sure that you are protected and your business is protected because you do, I mean, you are putting yourself out there and you are the brand, whether, I mean, yes, your covers are part of your brand, but ultimately you are the brand because you are the author. I mean, when you go to a book signing, readers aren't coming to see your covers. They're coming to see you. Um, And so you have to approach that as, in a way, kind of like a celebrity does, like, you know, when they're, when they're going out and, you know, going on the red carpet and stuff, they're presenting an image and they're present, they're, they're presenting their brand. Mm -hmm. And you really have to, it's an all encompassing thing, your cover, your, your, your legal stuff, your website, your, you know, your email list, all that stuff is your brand. And right. you really do have to protect that. Um, and yeah, that I do agree what you went through was very, very, I ended up having I mean, the least just you just so that you people out there understand, I had to take seven books, or no, it was six at the time, I had to take six books, and I had to have those six books recovered. And, um, when I went to the new cover artist to have them recovered because it was either, it was, it was either I went back to the cover artist who complained that I took the branding and did the whole on, you know, paying if by paying this invoice stuff, I didn't want to go back to her to have her do the new cover. So that meant I had to give, I had, instead of getting one cover done, I had to have six done. And obviously the new cover artist gave me a break in the price because I was getting so many done at the same time, but I had her at the very beginning before we went ahead I had her write it in the contract that the branding belonged to me. So. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The cover needing to match the John doing your research. Yeah. Doing your research, because uh, one of the things that, again, I, I didn't really cross my mind when I was a newbie author and something I learned years later was you really need to go on to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple, and look at like the top 100 in your genre and see what types of covers are trending. Mm-hmm. You know, are, are they are they covers with, co- with sexy couples on them? Are they animated covers? Are they um, are they covers with scenery on them? Are there certain colors that are prominent in the fonts? The fonts, all the font stuff. placement, the placement of your name, your name should be big and bold, and it should be in the same mm-hmm. place on all cover, all of the books in the same series. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's to, it's for continuity sake so that readers can we had it explained to us that your cover is like a stop sign and mm-hmm. that it should as soon as it, it should stop a reader and grab them by the face. And basically said, you know, make them, compel them to pick it up and look Mm -hmm. and turn it over and read your blurb. And the blurb is the other part of the cover because the back back of a cover on a a paperback is just as important as the front in the sense that it's the blurb that's going to, if if, if the cover has grabbed them by the face, the blurb is going to make their throat constrict because they have to have the book now. They have to have it because yeah. it's, it's that compelling. So, and there are things that you need to keep it. You need to have in the, in your blurb. And those are, 
your keywords and tropes. And it has to be succinct. You don't have to tell the whole damn story in the blurb. It has to be enough right. for them to, for, to, to hook them that they want to look at, that they want more. So, right. and exactly. I think that's probably, that's probably it. I'm going to plug a, an author friend who knows um, so much about email, about newsletters and that is Holly Darling. Um, she she uh, she writes. She has a, a, a Facebook page called Harley, Holly Darling HQ, and she is a um, an email guru when it when it comes to being able to to get people to sign up for your newsletters and to give them give you your e- their email address and what to do with it. So if you if if you don't take anything else away from what Sherry and I have the bevy of information we have laid at your feet right now so that you don't make the same mistakes that we did, look that up and do your damn research. Right. Do it. <laughs> yes. Yes, do the research. That that is that is kind of the theme for today. Do your research. There's always more to learn. Um yeah, so hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Bound by Books this week and that you took at least a couple of nuggets of information away right. with you. Um, I hope you will tune in next week uh, at 12 noon Eastern time. And please stop by and check out our website. Learn more about uh, all of our hosts at www.boundbybookspodcast.com. Until next time. Have a good week. Bye-bye.